0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at org. Thank you. Be seated. <clears throat> well, as we come to First John chapter 3, uh, we pick up on where we were last, last week where Jesus uh, and the devil were contrasted as two teams, two natures, two... Uh, to, uh, people two to, to leaders, if you will, to look at what they represent and look at yourself and say, well, it becomes obvious whose team you're on. That's basically what John did last week. And what John has been doing all through the book is laying out signs or tests or indications of authenticity. Uh, he, he's dealing with a church that had people in it that seemed to be believers and seemed to be good. And then uh, they started saying things that weren't in line with what the apostles taught. The apostles were those who saw Jesus, touched him, heard him, watched his life, examined, saw him resurrected, and were commissioned to go and and teach uh, Jesus' teaching and God's word. And those are the teachings that we have in our scriptures. And so John heard what they were saying. It disturbed this church because they had some type of encounter, some spiritual encounter with God that they claimed that then led them to deny the apostles' teaching, to, to contradict scriptures. And so John says, look, one indication of authentic faith, one indication that you're genuinely in the faith is that you don't mess with God's word. You believe what the Bible says about Jesus, that he is the son of God in flesh, who died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. He rose from the grave, demonstrating he is God-man, and he gives life after death. And so you can't deny that and be a genuine, authentic believer. That's the first sign that you are authentic. The second sign he's given us is holiness, righteousness, the way we live. He said apparently these false teachers, uh, because of their belief that, that... Their false belief, false teaching, they thought you couldn't either... Either we didn't struggle with sin or their sin was no big deal. And John says, no, wait, wait, wait. The one who denies sin is a liar. We all sin, we all need forgiveness, and we need Christ to forgive us. And so he said, look, if you are truly a believer, you will see growing righteousness in your life. Because they act like it wasn't a big deal. And they weren't fighting sin, they weren't dealing with it. And so John says... The sign of a genuine believer, authenticity, is indicated in the fact that you are fighting sin, you're securing the grace of God, that you can admit your sin, and you deal with it, and you fight it, you weigh awards with it, you repent of it, and you see increasing holiness, the holiness of God. If it's in you, then you will see it come out of you in the way you live. And finally, the same is true with the love of God, that if you have experienced the love of Christ... It will come out of your life. You will see love for one another. And so John is reacting to these false teachers who apparently had this superiority uh, idea. They were above the others and they were creating this spirit of, of, of division and not loving one another. So John's been giving us these as tests, as signs that we're on the right track. So if you see these things in your life, he wants your assurance to grow. Now there's a separation between actual salvation and your confidence about your salvation. Assurance is the level of confidence about salvation. John wants you to have assurance, to be to know that you know, to have to be strong in, in your assurance. And so, how do you do this? Well, you look for these indications of authenticity in your life. And so John's been doing that, and today he focuses. ...on this idea of love being one of those indications of authenticity. And so John, last week, said, Jesus and the devil... Are Their ways are clear. Look at your life and who are you practicing with? Are you practicing to get better at righteousness, to get better at holiness? Well, that's what Jesus is all about. So if that's your practice, then that's whose team you're probably on. If you're practicing to deceive and to scheme and to lie and to sin and get away with it, then that's what the devil does. And so that's likely whose team you're on. Very black and white is what he says to us. Well, at that point, you may be thinking, well, I mean, isn't that a little harsh to say I'm of the devil? That's kind of blunt. And he says, well, let's give you an example. And so today, he's going to contrast, instead of Christ and the devil, he's going to contrast Christ with Cain. And so we're going to look at the life of Cain and the life of Christ. And it's going to help us look at our lives and say, am I more like Cain? Or am I more like Christ? And so, let me just summarize. John Stott summarizes this passage well. And I want to just give it up front so we know where we're going. And then we'll look at it together and see what God has inspired John to teach us this morning. John Stott says about this passage, Hatred characterizes the world. The world's prototype is Cain. It, it, the hatred of Cain originates in the devil issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. going to read that again. Hatred characterizes the world, whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church, whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. Very clear separation and very clear of what he's doing. So in this passage, we're going to see the hatred of Cain is evidence of spiritual death in Cain. In contrast, the love of Christ is evidence of spiritual life. But in particular, what we're going to see here, the hatred and the love is not just generic and general. What John does is he says... In particular, it's the attitude towards the church, attitude towards those in the church. So let's look at what he says, and let me ask the Lord to help us this morning. Lord, I pray that you will make clear your word to us today and that you will move powerfully in our hearts I pray that we all will place ourselves, including me, that we will all place ourselves under the teaching of your word and give you authority to speak truth into our life. For your way is truth, and in the truth you set us free. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at Cain, and then we're going to look at Christ and see what John does with it. First, we look at Cain in verses 11 through 13. John says, For this is the message which you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his Cain's, because Cain's deeds were evil, and his brother Abel, Abel's deeds were righteous. Don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And so in these verses, John, in his contrast of Cain and evil, shows Exhibit A of one who is of the devil that he talked about last week. He said, You're either of Jesus or you're of the devil. There's no in between. It's not gray and fuzzy. Which team are you on? He says, Let me give you an exhibit A Cain. Cain was of the devil. He says here he's of the evil one. Well, what do you mean? What did he do? Well, let's go back to Genesis 4. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 4. Very beginning of your Bibles. The story is where he wants us to go and think. Anytime a New Testament author, rep- References the Old Testament story. It's good to go and understand the point of the Old Testament story, and then you'll see, oh, I see what he's saying. So let's see what the Old Testament story was. In Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you see creation, you see God's ideal, love, love of the Father creates love for one another, live in perfect unity, enjoying his incredible creation in paradise, and it's eternal life with God and his people in perfect unity and love. Enter. Adam and Eve's sin, the fall, that's Genesis 3, the fall. And we see everything unraveling. And then we see in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve had kids, Cain and Abel. And then they're gathering together for the first worship service after the fall. So they're gathering like us, the first worship service after sin has entered the world. And what do we see? Verse 3 of chapter 4 of Genesis. So it came about in the course of time... Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So in this first worship service, you have Cain, the farmer, and you have Abel, the a shepherd or a rancher, the farmer dealing with crops, the Cain dealt with uh, crops, and Abel dealt with animals. They both brought their offering to the Lord. And it says, and it's said in a way, that they both apparently brought their first fruits, their best and first offerings to the Lord. So here you have the first worship service. Two people outwardly look exactly the same, and their offering is what it was supposed to be it met the law. As you read later in the Bible, God gives Israel the sacrificial system and the offering system and it's supposed to be a first fruit offering of their labor. And that's exactly what they're both doing. They both look good. They're both being faithfully religious. Adam or Abel and Cain both bringing their offering to the Lord. And I'm sure when Abel brought his offering and Cain brought his offering. They're both going, yeah, this is good. Perhaps Cain maybe was going, hey, check this out. Look at how good I'm doing, just like you, Abel. So in the first worship service, they're both bringing what seems to be an acceptable offering, but what happens? God says to Abel, well done. Pleasing worship. Good and faithful servant. I accept your worship. But what happens with Cain? God says, don't bring that up in here. Do what? Why would God not accept Cain's offering? Many people want to say, oh, well, the problem was what he brought. He brought, uh, he didn't bring meat, he didn't bring, no, that's not the problem. In fact the writer of Hebrews explains in Hebrews 11:4 that the problem was faith. The problem was the heart. The problem was Cain, not Cain's offering. In Hebrews 11:4 there's a litany of examples of the importance of faith, the requirement of faith, and in that litany you see by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Abel's righteousness was revealed in his offering of faith. God looked past the offering and God looked into the heart and said, Here, Abel is a man of faith. Abel is offering this as the natural response of his heart, his love, his appreciation his experience of the grace of God and his faith in God led him to bring an offering of worship from a heart of faith. But Cain, not so much. Cain brought the first fruits. Maybe he even did more. His, maybe he did it for all to see. But God says, that's not all I'm looking for. That means nothing to me. I'm sure God's like, you think I need your crops? And so Cain is told, you need to repent. And look at what he says in Genesis 4 or 5. So Cain became angry and his countenance fell. When God holds him to account, when God says, hey, that's not what I'm looking for. I want your heart I want what you give to be out of the overflow of your heart, out of worship and appreciation and love for me. I don't need your stuff. And Cain's countenance fell. He's counting the cost, he's grieving, he knows his heart. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Like, why are you mad at me? Why are you mad at your brother? Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? The humble will humble themselves, and they then God says, I will exalt you in due time. If we come in here with a humble heart, empty hands of saying, I've got nothing to give you, Lord, but my heart with humility and desperation and our countenance down, the Lord says, I will lift you up. He says, that's the kind of worshipers I seek. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. So Cain told Abel his brother and it came about when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Out of the mouth overflows the heart. The life is fruit of what's in the heart. Cain was the problem, not the offering. So we sit in a room full of people and God is writing to us and he's saying, you all look pretty. You all come up in here to worship. You sing the same songs. Perhaps you all put something in the offering basket. But he's saying to all of us today, I want you. I want your heart. And the songs and the offerings are only fruit of a heart that experiences the love of Jesus Christ. So when we say, well, I'm not of the devil. Are you of Cain? Are you here today playing games? What is your attitude this morning as you came to worship? In Cain and Abel, we see they both presented offerings, but Cain was a real good counterfeit. We began this series talking about handbags, designer women's designer handbags, and there's authentic bags, and then there are really good counterfeits. And we've said that what John is doing is saying... Are we authentic or are we just a good counterfeit? Today, his point is this, that when you come here and just singing songs and listening to a sermon, putting money in an offer plate, going to community group, it, it, it's, it can just be actually a really good counterfeit. What he wants to know is, is your heart filled with the love and the life of God through faith in Jesus Christ? John says in chapter 3 verse 11 that we should love one another not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? But because Cain's deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised brethren if the world hates you. So John says Cain was of the devil, killed his brother because his own deeds were evil. And as a result he hated his brother... He resented his brother who did what? All he did was worship the Lord. And and Cain hated him. And Cain killed him. And John says, listen, church, believers, authentic believers, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Because it reveals their hatred of your Lord. You know, sometimes people will ask me, is it hard being a pastor? I hear them ask Dana, I'm sure it's isolating to be a pastor's wife. And I hear them kind of kid with my kids, is it hard being a preacher's kid? Yeah, I mean, it can be isolating, but it's no different for any of us. That any of us, when we stand for Christ, we are all Christ's children. We are all God's kids. And it puts us in a place that the world is looking at us. They hold us to a higher standard. They're just looking for a reason to say, Aha, I got gotcha. you. And they, they there's, there's an aspect that they hate us. For what? For loving the Lord. For worshiping Him. And John says, You need to understand this and don't let it rock you. Don't let it rattle you. You should just know that's what's going to happen. And no, it's not really about you. It's about the Lord, it's about your father. They don't like your dad. And they're taking it out on you. And so John does two things in this first section about Cain. First of all, he warns all of us who are in the practice of coming and singing songs and putting money in the offering plate and, and doing religious activity, coming to a worship service. He says, listen, remember, authentic worshipers. Worship Him from the heart. And the songs and the offerings and the giving is all just a fruit of a genuine heart that has the love of God in them. But many of us need to ask ourselves, am I here just because my spouse wants me to be here? Am I here just to keep the peace at home? Am I here just to keep my parents off my back? Or are you here? You know, why do kids go crazy in college? So many of them just just go, we just, what went wrong in college? Tragically, so many of the times what's going on in college is the first time that you get to see what they really think. It's the first time you get to see what's really in their heart because they're not having to please their parents. They're not having to keep their parents off their back. And so we go to college and we think, oh, what did we do wrong? It's called seeing the ugliness that's in our heart. And then we have to choose our own way. Am I going to worship the Lord sincerely with my own heart? Tragically, many people move from college to marriage and they know enough they want a good wife or a good husband. And they marry a good woman or a good man. And then they go to worship for to please their spouse. God says, I want your sincere heartfelt worship. I don't just want your stuff. So are you... Worshipping like Cain or like Abel. Again, Stott says, hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil. It issues in murder and is evidence of spiritual death. Next, we look at Christ. Look at verses 14 through 18. And here's what John writes. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But we know, love by this, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so John points to Christ to make this point that he states in verse 14. We know this. Here's how you know if you've passed out of death into life. If we love the brethren. So, there's life and there's death. There's hatred which reveals spiritual death. There's love that which reveals spiritual life. And so... He says, listen, if you want to know if you've been born again, born of God, born of the Spirit of God, if you're in the love of Christ, you will see the love of Christ in you. And that's the teaching all throughout the Word of God. Love reveals whether you're in Christ or not. I want you to finish these sentences. Number one, to keep you awake as our air conditioners are broken. And number two, to see that this is what the Bible teaches. The fruit of the Spirit is... Very good. Let's try it again. The fruit of the spirit is Okay, that's going to be the answer for all of them. All right. Galatians 5:6. For in Christ Jesus neither For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or, or uncircumcision. In other words, it's not about religion. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything but faith working through Love. Very good. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13:2, without I am nothing. He's going through all the gifts of the Spirit. He says, man, I got all this is great. But without love, I am nothing. In Corinthians 13, 13, he says, now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is? The greatest of faith and hope and love. He says, the greatest of those is love? That sounds mushy, doesn't it? That sounds kind of like, wait a minute. Surely you mean the greatest of those is faith, because without faith you can't have love. He says, well, that's my point. Without, the, without faith and hope, he says, you have no love, but the greatest of these is love. John's saying that if we, see Christ, if we see Christ's love for the church in us, it is evidence that we have experienced the love of Christ by faith. That's how you know if you've experienced eternal life. That's how you know if you're not in death anymore. It's because you see the love of Christ coming out of your life. And John... What he says in verse 14, part 2, about being a murderer. he, He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He's not saying that someone who committed murder can't have eternal life. He's just putting out two types of people. The one who is filled with hatred and anger and rage. He says, even if he doesn't commit murder, he's a murderer. The love of God's not in him. That's not characteristic of the person who is in Christ. Is your life filled with hatred, resentment, and anger, but you're in here worshiping? He says, really? You're going to claim to be filled with the love of God, and that's what your life is characterized by? John doesn't let us play games. John says, if you come in here and give me money and sing songs, that's nothing if you're not filled with the love of Christ. What's implied in this logic about loving the church and loving the believers of the church is that the church is the body of Christ. Now, when Saul was persecuting Christians, he wasn't persecuting a building, he wasn't persecuting a ministry, he was persecuting people who claimed to have faith in Christ. They were the church. And Jesus came to him and said, Saul... Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you don't love the church, how can you say you love Jesus? The church is the body of Jesus. The very definition of the church is they've experienced Christ, they are in Christ, they are the body of Christ. So, John is forcing us to be honest. Again, as I said last week, this is not me, some spiritual leader, some Pharisee looking down at you. This is me sitting with you and listening to John's teaching that God has for us. It doesn't matter if I'm preaching the word of God my entire life. If it is not from a sincere heart of transformed by the faith in Jesus Christ, it is worthless. In fact, there's scriptures that says that. They'll come, wait, wait, Jesus said, I never knew you. And wait, I preached the word of God. He's like, I never knew you. At this point, you may be thinking, well, I don't hate Christians. I don't murder Christians. I don't persecute the church. John says, well, let's, let's look at this in verse 16. We know love by this. Here's the measure. Let's get a little more specific. So this is generic love. Love the church. Do you love the church? Yeah, I love the church. Well, let's, let's get a little more specific. Verse 16, we know love by this. Christ laid his life down for us. We ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Okay. That's denial, -denial, self-denial, self-sacrifice. Even to the point of death. And you go, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would lay my life down, literally die for the church. I would like to think I would. But I don't really know. The point is not necessarily many of us won't be asked, most of us likely won't be asked to literally die for, this, for the people in this church or Christians in general. So, so let's get a little more practical. In verse 17, John says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God live in him? How? Do you see the, the love of God, the forgiveness and sacrifice of Jesus Christ producing within you self-denial and sacrifice for the body of Christ? Quite the opposite of Cain's hatred which led to taking life, Christ's love led to laying his own life down in order to give life. And this is also what he produces in his children. I know many of you have been hurt by the church. Just like the church is not an organization, it's not a building, it's not a program, it's people, it's also sinful people. I mean, that's what the very definition of a church is, is people who have sinned tremendously and realize they desperately need forgiveness and the grace of God and are working and striving and helping each other get better, get less sinful, and to stop being so wicked. And so if the church has hurt you, I say, I know, I'm sure. I, I might be the one you're thinking of. But what does that reveal in your heart? Hatred and anger resentment, or do you find the surprising ability by the grace of God to forgive and to love the way you have been forgiven by God and been cleansed by Jesus and loved by Jesus? He says, listen, if you want to know whether you're authentic, don't look to see if you just attend and sing and give. Look at your heart attitude towards the people in this room. Or maybe it's a former church. I think what's helpful is to think about it this way. Has God done something in your life through Christ that he creates within you? A desire to be with others who have experienced that. To know them well enough to know their pains, their hurts, their sorrows, their financial needs, their physical needs, their emotional needs, their spiritual needs. That you connect, you know, you care, you love, you want to meet. When you hear someone has need of, they just need a friend. Are you willing to say, hey, let's go grab coffee? Let's talk. Tell me what's going on in your life. Let's read a book. There's a bookshelf full of books here. To Say, hey, let's grab this book on that issue. Let's read through it together. Let's talk together. Self-denial, sacrificing your time, your energy, your emotions is hard work. We don't have a bunch of ministries that we do and a bunch of programs because if we're doing that, we don't have time for all that. And we don't have the energy for a bunch of other stuff. If you're pouring your life into people's hurts and needs, there's plenty of work to be done there. And it's hard, it's costly, it's exhausting. Perhaps you need to give forgiveness. John's saying, if you don't see that, I'm going to try to be careful how I say this because I don't want to go beyond scriptures. But what John is saying then is if you don't see that in your heart, then then certainly don't think that you're good just because you're here singing and giving something in the offering plate. He's saying what's going on in your heart if you don't love the church and the people is what he means when he talks about the church. So she, he says, examine our hearts, examine our lives, and see if we reflect Cain and his resentment for people who love the Lord or Christ and his love for the people of the church. Do you love the church, warts and all? Or do you resent the church? but you're going through the motions to please a spouse or to please a family member. If you find in your heart that lack of the love of Christ, producing love for the church in your heart, repent today. Let him raise your countenance Sin is crouching at the door. You must master it by faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, your word is hard. It is truth and it is good. And there is great joy and freedom in the truth. And we have to sit under your word and let it examine our hearts. Let your spirit reveal what's going on in our hearts so that we don't play games and go down a bad road. Lord, we don't want to be caught off guard or surprised. We want to know for sure that when we meet you, you're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enjoy your inheritance. And may we not point to preaching of sermons or ministry, service, leading a community group, putting money in an offering plate, singing songs, faithful attendance. May we not point to those things as our hope, or the grounds, I should say. May we not point to those things as the grounds of our hope in Christ. May we point to those things as evidence of, from a genuine heart of worship, a genuine heart that has, has been transformed by the grace of God, that has been given spiritual life, that has been born again by faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we will have two responses this morning. If we find uh, counterfeit worship in our hearts, that we will repent and trust in Jesus Christ and let it be real today. Ask Jesus to tr- to forgive you of your sins and experience renewal this morning, right now. And for those who have experienced forgiveness and truly worship you, may we be strengthened and not rattled by the fact that the world will hate us, that people will will resent us and be uh, angry and mean toward us just because they hate you, Lord. Help us in this climate that we live in to be strong, bold, courageous, loving. Believers. As we sing these songs, work in our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, Please visit us online at northverychurch.org